Hello and welcome to the Rogue Tours podcast. My name is Chad Durham. I am Jake Hampton. And we are super excited to be back doing the Rogue Tours podcast. Um, we have been on hiatus for over a year. I double checked. Yeah, just over a year. Um, if you've ever looked on iTunes or SoundCloud, there were just two on there. Our Wonder Woman review from June and then from May, we ranked all the Fast and the Furious movies. Um, but if you go to either of those places now, all the ones we've done before are back on. So there are, there are a lot, there are 15 or 20 on there and you can take a look. I mean, we're not here to tell you have to go listen to all of the, the old podcast episodes, but, um, there you can pick and choose stuff. That's if you like Pixar, we did our top three Pixar. If you like Christopher Nolan or M night Shyamalan or, uh, movies. Jared Hess or horror movies Rom-coms. like yeah rom- romantic <laughs> exactly there's something for everyone <laughs> but yeah there's a lot of stuff on there and and you can subscribe on iTunes or you can subscribe on on SoundCloud and then every time we have a new thing which which we're we're back to doing now um uh you'll get to know and basically we try to pick stuff that we enjoy. We like to rank things or we pick filmmakers that we're intrigued by or, or think have done a lot of good work and we'll rank their stuff. Um, also, if you have any, anybody out there listening, honestly, if you have any suggestions or things you, you wanna hear, let us know uh, via SoundCloud comments. I think you can do comments there or you can uh, see us on Facebook or Instagram. I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But before we went on really quickly, we wanted to give a shout out because the only reason we're able to do this again is because we did a GoFundMe. We had a lot of generous donors who jumped in and, and paid for our, our podcasting account, basically. And so I wanted to give a shout out. Uh, they are mostly former students of mine. <laughs> I am a high school teacher, as is Jake. And they're, they're mostly former students of mine as well as members of our families. Um, and I, they didn't know we we're going to do this and we're not going to talk about how much money people gave. They were all generous and amazing, but I just wanted to give them a shout out. By the way, any of these people, if you're listening and you want to come on the podcast, let us know. We have guest stars a lot. Um, and if you have a, a topic you want to, uh, you really want to put your two cents in with, let us know. So one, one of the, uh, donors was Channing Hyde. Um, and a couple things about her. She's a great singer. She has stuff on iTunes. Um, under Channing Olivia Hyde. Her first album is called More Now Than Before. She also has a Christmas song there. She is working on becoming a teacher also. And one of her favorite, I think her favorite movie of all time is Almost Famous, which is something that she and I talk about a lot. Um, another one of my former students, Tyler Green, uh, he, I had him in Film Lit, uh, and he loves movies too. He and I talk a ton about movies at school. He actually listened to our Fast and the Furious podcast, and he was really upset with me for putting uh, Tokyo Drift so high. He, he's like, dude, what are you doing? He and I had a great conversation last year about the Florida Project because I had told him to watch it and he came back and he was like, dude, like, ah, whoa, I don't think I've seen something like that. So that was really cool. So Tyler, if there's any, Tyler told us he wants us to do best cinematography, some of our favorite uh, movies, movie cinematography uh, in the future, which I think we're going to do because we're, we're, we're into that. Um, Marcus Marinos, who's a big movie buff. I saw A Quiet Place with he and his brothers. Um, I think I also had him in Film Lit and a few other classes. He's a member of a uh, singing group as well 
a, a band. I shouldn't say sing, singing. <laughs> it's mean, like I don't know what things are. Band, <laughs> exactly. Right? Do they wear head mics? <laughs> yeah, I don't. I, I Band. Marcus is in a band with his brothers. They're called Dad Bod. And you can find uh, some of their stuff on SoundCloud. They're hoping to get more stuff out and onto uh, iTunes. And he did a funny... Is it pronounced doTERRA or doTERRA? I always you thought know it was that? doTERRA. Okay, doTERRA. There's a funny uh, like uh, staff video for doTERRA you can find on Facebook and stuff that Marcus stars in. He's a very funny guy. Um, and then um, Yoshi Wiltbank, whose name is actually Josh... Um, but he and I went to Interstellar, not together, but we're in the same theater, um, which is really cool. And he used to talk to me about movies all the time. Um, he recently got married, which is really cool within the last like month, right? Josh, if you're out there listening, (laughs) I think within the last month, um, and made sure to ask where he could find the podcast. So I hope you're listening right now, Josh and let uh, Yoshi, let me know if there's anything you want to come on and talk about. And then my mother... My mother and Jake's. I'm going to let him talk about her. But <laughs> my mom, who is the one who introduced me to movies. Um, today we're ranking, I haven't even said this yet, but we're ranking the Mission Impossible movies. And I remember, I'll mention this again later, but my mom was very disappointed with Mission Impossible 1 because she said, and sorry, this is a 22-year-old spoiler, but she said Jim Phelps never would have betrayed the IMF team. So <laughs> she's always had she's always had a, a hard spot in her heart <laughs> for for that that uh, part of the script. And my mom's great and very generous, so we appreciated her uh, donating. Anything you want to say about your mother, Jake's mom? Moms are also. great, and I I know her donation was purely out of the uh, the love and the the pure motherly love she has for me because I. Know that long form podcasts are not <laughs> are not her thing. Discuss movies in depth are not her thing. So thank you, mom, for encouraging me to do what I love, <laughs> even if you don't. Yeah, that is hilarious. No, we love making these, and that's why we did the GoFundMe. So we wanted to start out with the shout out to all those people. Very generous of you, um, and uh, just it was super cool. And we're right back in the podcasting room, which is my house, um, <laughs> to, to bring you some more content that hopefully you will enjoy. Since we're hoping some of you haven't listened to the Rogue Tours podcast before, we're going to spend a couple minutes talking about some of the things with Rogue Tours. Um, and I'll just kind of talk and Jake can cut me off when I forget something or he wants to add something. But um, Rogo Tours started with my good friend, whose name is Tom Jones. He was kind of the creator of Rogo Tours. There have been various iterations and things that we've done. We had a site on Tumblr, which then moved to like a WordPress style site that we really enjoyed. But the hosting, I don't understand the web very well, but our host system like crashed our site and like lost all our stuff. And they're not sure at this moment that they can even find it. That's mm. new information to Jake. Yeah, <laughs> Very forever. sad. Okay. It may be gone forever, yeah. So Tom is working on getting us up on Medium. If you go to Medium, I don't know if you guys have been there before, but it's just a lot of writing that you can find. You can follow us. There's not a lot there yet, but we're working on it. Um, and then we do have an Instagram, which is uh, where we'll, we'll post just like little pictures when we see a movie. Um, and we'll sometimes do short little reviews that are usually just the one minute every once in a while a little more if i had a little more to say about sicario too and so like it was two minutes but uh, those are are quick and small and that was our kind of our um 
uh, th- that was one place where we replaced what we like to do here on the podcast. The other places on Facebook, you can follow us. And all of these are Rogue Tours or Rogue underscore Tours. That's Instagram and Twitter is with the underscore, I think. And then Facebook's just Rogo Tours. And we've, we have a lot of Facebook Live videos on there. That was where we, we went with the long form that Jake yeah. was talking about. We'd sometimes do really long videos. You can find some of our old like hour ones. And then we started breaking those up into easier uh, to watch short versions. Um, so that's where we have a lot of that stuff. And we're sad about missing the old site. And we're hoping to get back into writing. But one of the things we love about the podcast itself is we can come and do something that I think we both love. Um, and we can get it done in an hour or an hour and a half. Totally. And it's easy for people to listen on the way to work or, you know, to listen to just part of it. Or And I'll always try to put on the SoundCloud and iTunes explanation, oh, from, you know, one minute to ten minutes we talked about this. So you know when we actually get into the parts that you might. Did you want to add totally. something? Totally. No, just I, I enjoy being a disembodied voice <laughs> and being able to eat Oreos and not have to wonder if there's any on my teeth. Uh, so I, I definitely missed the podcast form so it's good to be back yeah yeah and we we noticed and made jokes about that if you go if you go online and look at some of the old ones we got longer and longer um as we like became more comfortable i guess and we're just like oh i want to say this and i want to say that um so sometimes we broke stuff in half but some of the rogo tours team obviously jake and i and we'll introduce ourselves briefly in a minute and then eric wood has guested with us on many podcasts and done some writing and might be here today if I hadn't forgotten to tell him we were going to try to do this. But we'll get him back. He'll he'll be back and join us. He's been on on maybe close to half. I don't maybe just under half. Yeah, but, he, but he's been on a few. Christopher Nolan and and the horror podcast are two of the prominent ones that I remember him uh, really helping us out. We have some honorary members, people who have guested before. My sister Krista Durham's guested on a couple on the romantic comedy one chiefly. She was also on the Christmas one. Um, and then Justin Reeves has done some writing for us. We haven't gotten, gotten him on the cast yet, but we will eventually. Um, but you can find some of his stuff on Facebook. Um, and then Susan Martin, she was on our Christmas one. So was my son. Chase joined yeah. us for that one. Um, and then Daniel Potter, who I teach with, he was on our La La Land Whiplash podcast. So sometimes we'll have guests and that's why, you know, if you're out there listening and you know us and you're like, I bet they let me on the podcast, feel free to ask. The worst we can do is say like, uh, no, but, but we, it's, I I know for me, it's fun to have another person, another perspective too, um, that, I mean, Jake and I disagree all the time, but it's fun to have even three variables where it's like, Ooh, who knows what's going to happen, especially when we rank something. Totally. Um, anyway, um, and yeah. And then uh, a couple quick things about me. Uh, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm going to say my age. I mean, why not? Whoa. I'm 38. Yeah, I'm almost 40. Um, and uh, I teach high school in Saratoga Springs, Utah. I do get to teach a film lit class, which is really fun. I have three kids, and my wife and I have been married for about 15 years. I teach English, and um, my film lit class, we do some stuff with adaptation, and we kind of break down the, uh, some of the elements of film and see how they impact the meaning which is kind of similar to what we do in my AP classes where it's like, let's break down how this piece came together and how it impacts the meaning. I've always, always, always loved movies um, and am you know, disappointed that I can't see every single thing that's out there. And we will joke a lot, or if you've listened to us in the past, that Jake does get to more than I do, and especially more of the smaller ones, and I'm always jealous, like, oh man, I didn't get to see that one yet. And that's another reason why I like getting to talk, talk about it here. Um, yeah, I think that's a, that's about it for me. What okay. about you? Yeah, I mean, uh, 
contrary to how it may sound, I am not actually a small clone of Chad, but I, I am also a high school teacher. I do also teach English and a, a film class. Two classes now, actually, of this, as of this school year, which is exciting. Um, and uh, yeah, movies are quite possibly my biggest passion. Uh, my pipe dream is to be a screenwriter. I just never put in the time or energy that I should to accomplish that. Um, we so, are uh, clones, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean that's why I'm I'm here here to talk the films. Yeah, and we and we've talked many times about how we believe in the in the transformative power of movies, perspective changing, uh, empathy bringing, and and it is an art, and it's the highest the highest form of popular art, you know, of pop culture. And, and every once in a while you see something that's, that ex- even uh, kind of transcends that, that title of pop culture. Not the stuff we're going to talk about today, Mission Impossible, very firmly in the pop culture realm. But there are a lot of other things that we talk about or have talked about in the past, stuff that to us means more than that. Like we did a, a podcast on the social network, with which both of us think does a lot more than just tell an entertaining story. It has a lot to say about who we are and why we act the way we are. And that's why we love to do this. And we hope some of you out there feel the same way. Even if you're just driving to work and you're just like, I'm going to put these voices on and kind of listen because I'm friends with Chad or Jake. That's cool too. Um, maybe, it'll, maybe it'll lead you to a movie that you never, you know, seen or didn't think you wanted to see that one day you'll go like, oh wow, that was really good or something like that. Totally. Um, and that's why we wanted to have a brief, and then, I mean, we'll get there. And this one, there's a little more intro today, just because it's our first one back in a year. After this, it'll be a smaller intro, and we'll dive in, but MoviePass, some of you out there have heard of MoviePass. I wanted to very briefly bring up MoviePass. MoviePass, I had in the interim between when we stopped podcasting, and then I just very recently canceled it, mostly because for a, uh, there's been a time here when I just don't know if I can even go to the theater and actually get MoviePass. And so I was kind of curious. I really wanted to ask Jake and let him talk and, and have you listened to him. If you haven't heard of MoviePass for a while, for me, for 10 months, I could see a movie a day if I wanted. Um, eventually, I couldn't re-see movies. At first, I could um, for $10 a month. And you, there was a card and I would tell the app I wanted to see this movie. It would load my card with the money and I never had any problems. I know other people did. But then MoviePass was hemorrhaging money, which makes sense. I mean, they lost a lot of money on yeah. me and Jake. I know they lost a lot of money on Jake and most of the people I've talked to, they lost a lot of money on them, even though they recently came out and said the majority of their viewers, the majority of their users see three movies or fewer I think so. a month. And I figured out mine and it was a little over four a month. So it's not like I was way bigger than that, but I'm I also like not everyone has kids and not everyone has families. I was like, Oh yeah, dude, if I was literally single and I, oh, I would have seen like, actually 20 mm-hmm. like actually 20 a month so i can i can imagine they're hemorrhaging money so they've recently made some changes and the biggest thing is they reduced it to everyone can only see three movies a month and so i was just kind of curious your thoughts i i, I you still have yours right yeah. and are planning to continue or oh my gosh yeah i mean look it renews in a couple weeks. Yeah. Uh, they say it's starting the 15th, this new plan. That, uh-huh. and, and it's sad that I have to specify this, but at the time of this recording, that's the current I know, because it the keeps changing, yeah. And there are like theaters now that we can't even go see stuff at. Mm-hmm. And so again, $10 a month is awesome. 
it's awesome, but I can't trust it anymore. No. That was my problem. Like we showed up at the theater once for Fallout, and it wouldn't work. Right. It was right in the time when they were having all the trouble. Yeah, exactly. All these recent troubles. So uh, I'll keep mine if after this new three month or three movie plan starts, if they things go back to normal and like the times are actually all there for all theaters and I can actually see what I want to, then sure, I'll gladly keep it. But yeah. if it's still a, like a, a lottery every day of which theaters are going to have which and movies, times? Um, times are randomly removed yeah, and stuff. Yeah, very so strange. That, I'm not willing to play that game, but uh, yeah. I do at least appreciate that they've like brought this concept of a movie subscription service into so good while it lasts the mainstream. Yeah. So I I hope that it changes movie going forever. I mean maybe if they totally go under no one will see a reason to continue it. To yeah, to try anything like that again. But yeah. uh I, I hope it's spoiled the masses enough that like they clamor for it or they Yeah, that there'll be something better that comes along if movie pass ends up failing. So Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. It's interesting, yeah. And I, I um, uh, don't remember what I was about to say, so I am now left without... I was, I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to add this thing on what Jake <laughs> just said, and now I completely That's forgot okay. it. Um, oh, I remember. I used to always go Tuesday, Tuesday nights, because here where we live, every Tuesday is $5 Tuesdays. Right. At the two theaters closest to us. The two chains. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would always, for, for Rogo Tours, basically, to podcast and to write... And to make sure I had enough movies, I'd go almost every Tuesday night late, even though I got up to teach the next day. What happened with um, MoviePass, I didn't have to care what day it was anymore. And that was really cool. And if there was a movie I wasn't going to see, I would be like, I'll see that. Like Bethany and I, that's my wife. Bethany and I went and saw Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again, which normally I'd have been like, Bethany, what are you doing to me? But I was like, okay, like, I don't care. Like, you know, it's not cost me any more than it cost me every month. Exactly. And so I'm going to miss the kind of, the insouciance of just being able to be like, we go see whatever we want and we'll still mm-hmm. get to see the small stuff and the big stuff. And yeah. And I've read all kinds of comments um, online with people saying like that they were pretty strictly Star Wars and Marvel moviegoers before subscribing to MoviePass, but that like getting that deal made them that much more willing to go check out indie movies and or stuff like you said just stuff maybe it doesn't appeal to them but they'll go see it because it doesn't cost so yeah man i'm sad about it for that reason and i was never one who complained i i went on social media which is i know is the the ground zero for complaining but there are always people like movie pass you're the worst like no they're not they let me pay ten dollars to see as many movies as i wanted for 10 months Mm The, the problem was coming out with that and thinking you could somehow sustain it. Right. Like, that's what made me sad. And, and again, the only reason we left is because of the, the lottery nature, to borrow mm-hmm. your word, was just us not thinking we could trust them anymore. Like, there was, you know, oh no, we can't go to the time. I was going to take my daughter. I was going to take my kids. We were at the theater when we found out, you know, we couldn't go see Fallout. And we did. We did see it. We just paid for it. But um, but that I was like, uh, now I can never be sure, and I'd rather just be sure, even if I'm even if I'm going on Tuesdays and paying. If I go three Tuesdays a month, I'm only paying five dollars more, so I can swing it, I guess. Yeah. But we'd love to hear what you guys thought. Obviously, we don't have a call in, but if you're listening to this, you're like, oh, I want to let them know. You can jump on Facebook, or or any of the places. 
um, and and comment. And if you listen to the podcast and you like kind of dig it or whatever, and you want to give us a review on iTunes, I'm just curious to see if we ever get a review on iTunes. It's not even because like we're gonna make money or anything. I'm just hoping one day Somebody they'll be like, "Here's four stars." Like, yeah. I mean, I don't care if it's <laughs> one star. Stars. I don't care if it's one star, guys. I'm not fishing for four stars. <laughs> I'm just saying I want to see stars, you know, and just be like, yeah. There are stars. Uh, so, so think about that. If we're going to fish, though, give us five stars. <laughs> <laughs> if you feel it in your heart, then you can give us five stars. If you don't, then you can give us four. Anyway. <laughs> okay. One thing we try to always do before we get into like the proper podcast thing is we do like to talk about what we've seen lately or what we've loved lately. And it's a combination of both because sometimes we've seen a couple things and neither of them were that good or whatever. And other times like, oh my gosh, this movie came out. You guys got to go find it. And so I'm going to let Jake chat about a couple things that he's seen and then I'll do the same. And then we'll move into Mission Impossible, which I'm excited to hear where where Jake's at once we introduce that. Yeah, I'll just run through a rapid fire real quick. I'll I'll stick to what I've just seen in the past couple weeks in theaters um, and keep it brief on each one. But I... Absolutely to everyone, I recommend seeing Eighth Grade. I'm so excited to see it. And yeah, I, I think so a lot of people are hearing about it, even people who don't seem to normally be super into the indie movie scene. Yeah. It's, I think it's making waves um, on a pretty large scale, which I'm glad about. But if you don't know, it's the first uh, movie from Bo Burnham. He's a stand-up comedian who got famous through YouTube. And was in the big sick, just as a side note. Yes, he was. Um, so he wrote and directed this. It's his, his first movie. Um, <clears throat> and uh, he does not appear in it at all. He's purely behind the scenes, unless there was a weird cameo that I missed. <laughs> uh, anyway, it's just about uh, a girl in eighth grade. Uh, it was set in present day um, and offers some really unique insights um, <clears throat> to uh, fellow teachers out there, especially I recommend seeing it to me. I don't even really deal with eighth graders very much, but... Uh, just teen, seeing teenagers and how they are now, it seemed very realistic to what I see at school, but also offered me some some things that I hadn't thought about as far as what it must be like to have grown up in this, I guess, internet-saturated world. Um, yeah. Because, I mean, I'm, on, I'm only eight years out of high school, but it's already way different than what I grew up with. Oh, so. yeah. I had one question. I have mm-hmm. not seen it, but I've heard the script praised, and I've heard Elsie, Elsie Fisher, right? Yeah, that's her name. Mm-hmm. the the girl The girl who plays the eighth grader, praised. I was just curious. How is the direction? Did you feel like Bo Burnham behind the camera that there was a style there? There was absolutely was it... style. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I just kind of cut you off to answer your question. No, 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 no. you're good. Uh, and the the score is a big contributor to that um, nice. by a female composer, which you don't see a lot. Uh, I've noticed more and more lately. Yeah, Anna Meredith, I think, is the name of the woman who uh, who made the score. Apparently, Bo Burnham. No, wait, I think she came to Bo Burnham and said somewhat how this was exchanged, that it was going to be like the social network if it was composed by a teenage girl, <laughs> which it, the, the score, I mean, which it does sound like. And so uh, I, uh, I agree. Accurate. That's exactly what the score sounds like. It's awesome. Uh, and the movie is, is pretty highly stylized, I would say. It definitely awesome. feels like he has uh, a unique flair as a director cool. as opposed to someone just yeah. setting up a camera. Which we see up. sometimes, mm-hmm. and even that's okay. And there are some movies where the, the strength of the performance and the script is so, is so high that it doesn't matter that there's not a lot of style, but it's cool to hear that that kind of adds to uh, its uh, efficacy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, eighth grade, I put away my list I was going through. Just other movies I've seen in theaters. Um, I was able to catch Won't You Be My Neighbor. Have you seen oh, that yeah. yet? No, okay. we almost saw it multiple times, and then every time either didn't go to the movies or ended up choosing something else, which I feel bad about because I really want to see it. Right, yeah. I mean, apparently it's going to be aired on PBS anyway. But um, Oh, cool. 
Um, but I yeah, uh, I feel like beforehand I had heard nothing negative about it and I have nothing negative to say about right, it either. Right. It's a heart, the heartwarming experience you've probably heard about if you haven't seen it yet. Uh, just a really uh, informative and interesting look at uh, Fred Rogers. Nice. Um, and I, I honestly, I never really grew up watching uh, his show at all as a kid. So even going in, just knowing who he is generally and that's it, it was still uh, a great experience. To oh, see. nice. Um, a couple more. Uh, I wanted to shout out real quick, um, Unfriended Dark Web. Uh-huh, uh, yes. I, I'm kind of into, I've loved how in recent years there have been a couple studios that have emerged and like made names for themselves as studios. One being A24, which actually put out 8th grade that I just mentioned. Insane. We, we, could, we could probably literally do a top a five A24 movies A24, or something. Yeah. Uh, and uh, people know that studio name, right? That's not something that happens very often. When the credits come, when going. a trailer comes on and it says A24, I pay more attention. Right, me too. In the theater, I'm like, I'm here to see the other thing. Oh, my daughter's eating candy. Oh, my wife's doing something. But if it's A24, I'm like, everybody shut up. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, and then the, another studio I've noticed that's made a bit of a name for itself is uh, Bloomhouse or Blumhouse. I know that's what you're going to say. Just totally. Because, yeah. Well, because they put out Unfriended, right? But uh, I've definitely noticed they seem to... I, I, I like going to see Blumhouse movies because they, they have this kind of consistent level of like just slightly above average quality with their horror movies. Most of them aren't super great. Every now and then they'll put out something like Get Out, Get which out, is like <laughs> transcendent. They'll also put out stuff like Truth or Dare, which is like the other side of the and scale. Split, they at least participated in Split's production yeah. too, mm-hmm. right? No, yeah. Or, yeah, they, or, they put out they Split. Did put mm-hmm. out. Yeah, so another super high-end one. Uh, to make it clear, I was pointing out Truth or Dare as a low-end one. Yes, yes, um, yes. But, uh, so it varies, but I think overall, their average movie they put out is... A lot of fun and usually something interesting. So I went to go see Unfriended Dark Web pretty much just on the principle of it being a Bloomhouse movie, um, and was not disappointed. I watched the first one in preparation, um, and like I like both of these movies pretty equally. Uh, if you don't know the the gimmick, I guess is that uh, these Unfriended movies unfold entirely on a computer screen, basically as a continuous uh, long take, I guess. Um, wow. And so uh, I, it, sounds, it sounds gimmicky, right? But I think it really requires some interesting direction and like clever editing choices and things like that to make it feel like a believable experience. And I'm, believable, I guess, isn't the right word to use with these movies. But, uh, <laughs> but they're, they're really interesting and uh, they do uh, cool things with the theme of the threat being what you've done online, basically, and kind of like the permanence of the internet coming to haunt you. Um, this second one, Dark Web, focuses more on the scary things people are doing on the internet without being tracked. But uh, I think both the first and the second Unfriended movies have interesting things. They bring up interesting questions about our internet-driven society. And I think they're, they're, they're campy, but they're, sure. they're worth watching. The Ringer wrote an article about this one, and, and uh, it has more than one ending. Oh, that's right. Which I didn't know. And you don't know which one you're going to see. So you might go twice and see the same one. Yeah. Which, what they're, these two Ringer, the Ringer is an online uh, magazine that, that I enjoy. Um, and they, they gave two of their writers the job of going until they saw both endings. Uh-huh. And the woman, I think, don't quote me, but one of the two writers saw it the, fr- the first two times, she saw the two different ones. So she was good. And the other guy just went twice and saw the same one. Mm-hmm. But since one of them saw both, they wrote about it. But right. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, totally. The very Clue is the only other movie I remember doing that many years ago. Uh-huh. Clue had multiple different endings, and you would go and kind of see whichever one. 
I, I don't remember another movie doing it since then. No, I'm I, sure it has happened because we are not exhausted in our knowledge. Probably some obscure example. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I thought that was at least interesting. Totally. Yeah. Um, and real quick, one last movie I saw recently was The Spy Who Dumped Me. Oh, I've heard not very good things about that. Kate McKinnon. And but Ray I love Kunis. Kate McKinnon. So if you love Kate McKinnon, I would say it's worth it. And knowing... I don't know. I've seen a few comedies with you or heard yeah. you talk about a few yeah, comedies yeah. to the point that I feel like I know your sense of humor sure, sure. with movies more or less. And I think, I think you'd enjoy it because of your love for Kate McKinnon. Yeah, yeah. I think she's hilarious. I think the movie We saw Masterminds much. together, right? Oh, that's right. With we Kate did. McKinnon, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. yeah. Well, I, was trying, I was like, we did see something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so the movie pretty much hinges on whether or not you like her, even though she's not the main character. Because Mila Kunis is. Mila right? Kunis or is. Kunis. Um, but, uh, as a lot of people pointed out, her character is not interesting, really. She doesn't... Oh, sad. I Mila, mean, we like you, though. Yeah. They're, they're a fine... When you listen, Mila, know <laughs> that we... Still think you're cool. They're a fine and fun pair, but it, I think the movie comes down to, if you like Kim oh, nice. and she's the standout performance, and you'll laugh at almost you everything she does. You got some good does. laughs mm-hmm. from... Oh, totally. Some belly Kate laughs. McKenna. And if you don't like Kate McKinnon, you'll hate this movie. That's yeah. all it comes down to. We rewatched uh, in the last month Ghostbusters, uh, the the female led Ghostbusters, and I belly laughed at stuff I remembered she was gonna do. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like I know what joke's coming, and I was laughing really hard. So yeah, that's I, I like that review because I'm like, oh, well, I should check that mm-hmm. out then. Because I, I mean, maybe it. not now that you don't have movie pass, but yeah, <laughs> when it comes on DVD. <laughs> yeah. I'll be like, hey, remember 20 podcasts ago when we talked about the spy who dumped me? I also saw it. Uh, in that vein, I saw, and you, and you saw this if you follow us, a lot of times when we put the Instagram little video, I'll also put it on Facebook just because we have some people who are only on one or the other, not meant to like bombard you who do follow us on both. But I did talk briefly about Bad Words, um, which is a Jason Bateman directed movie from five years ago, but I just saw it recently. Um, and I, the reason uh, it's just like uh, Jake was just talking about, I love Jason Bateman and I would watch Jason Bateman in anything. And he also directed this one. Um, and Bad Words was surprisingly good. Very funny. Lots of really funny stuff. There's a, a kid actor in it who does a really great job. Um, but it, it, it finds some interesting, it finds an interesting rhythm, first of all, and then some interesting redemption because it's about a 40 year old who competes in the kid's spelling bee because he finds a loophole in the rules, but he's like super duper mean and jerky to these kids. And it seems like he's not redeemable. And that's where the, the genius was of Jason Bateman being in it, if you like him, because I liked him from the beginning, even when he's doing irredeemable things. Oh, ah, Jason Bateman, you know, I know it's gonna be okay. Um, and that was, I don't know if that was his idea or their idea, but um, he, and he shows some skill behind the camera. He directed a movie a couple years later called The Family Fang which I haven't seen, but which got even better reviews than Bad Words. Bad Words is like, there's some really mean-spirited stuff and some raunchy stuff and a lot of it at the expense of kids. And so if that bothers you, like I wouldn't see it. But if you're a Jason Bateman fan um, and and you're willing to kind of go into something knowing that this main character is going to feel like one of the biggest jerks ever, it's funny. Have you Did you ever see I never saw it. I was just curious. And then uh, we don't do, talk about TV a lot. This is the last thing, and we'll get into our Mission Impossible rankings. Um, but I have been watching with my good friend, Daniel Potter, um, The Wire, which was an HBO series from the early 2000s, considered by almost everyone who compiles such lists to be one of the top one to four TV shows of all time. It's rare you see a list that considers itself to be exhaustive or comprehensive from a... Um, 
like a not a knowledgeable site, but like a famous site or, or a, what's a reputable from a reputable site that doesn't include it in the top three or four. And um, I just watched season one and found out that Jake is also working through the wire. Um, and it is very good. And I've heard it only gets better as you watch the other seasons because it's like a novel that kind of builds on itself. Um, because the first season was very good. But I was, I was already anticipating the other seasons because I had read so many times like, yeah, it's good and you're going to like it, but you're really going to start to love it when it branches out to these other places. Shows the reverberations of things. There, one of the things I read that in a book I think we both read called TV the Book um, is it, it just treats every single character as a human being yeah. who, is, who is flawed but interesting, who has a life. Um, who makes decisions, who is not a villain or, or a hero. Um, and that is super, it's good writing. It's really good acting. Um, and so like, I'm really excited to watch the other, the other four seasons or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in season three and also really astounded by how unique it feels too. I mean, I, this is actually, I actually kind of went backwards. Well, I don't know. I've been all over the place with, uh, David Simon's TVography, I guess. Um, is the other one called Treme or is it Treme? Okay. It's Treme. I assumed it was Treme, but I've never heard anyone say Treme is good. Uh, and uh, his current series called The Deuce, I oh, super yeah. love. It's James about Franco. to start its second season. Mm-hmm. So yeah, his, uh, honestly, I'll have to see how I feel by the end. The Wire might be my least favorite oh, of his shows that I've crazy. watched. I think just because I find the subject matter of the other shows a little more interesting. Uh-huh. But, uh, but obviously it's like some... It's, it's it's a show where, like, the show is in charge, basically. Like, I don't even feel like I get to scrutinize it because, like you said, the writing, the yeah. acting, everything is so fully formed that uh, it, it's, I don't know, this feels cheesy, but, like, it feels like a privilege to even be able to, like, watch something that's so confident and fully formed. Yeah, yeah. And I, I don't mean this as a criticism, but every once in a while there's, like, a mini cliche moment, and it always jars me because there are so few of them. Yeah. You know, like normally you see a movie like even like the Mission Impossibles or something and then they're full of cliche moments but they transcend those and you're like, oh, even though I knew where this was going, I was still able to blah, 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 blah. The Wire is the opposite where every once in a while it has a cliche moment and I'm like, we'll be jarred for a minute. Like, yeah. whoa, whoa, what happened there? You're usually so like nothing is as, you know, nothing is as expected and nothing ever feels um, forced or anything. Um, so yeah, it's been fun to watch and yeah, it's a TV show. Um, so, you know, we'll jump back to movies now. (laughs) All right. Mission Impossible. We're rolling through the Mission Impossible rankings. We wanted to start with something we thought would be enjoyable to people, would be kind of like entertaining because we've done some like ranking the movies of Spike Jones and Jared Hess and stuff that's a little more maybe niche for us, which we hope some of you will listen to and enjoy anyway. But we're like, we're coming back for the Rogue Tours podcast for the first time Fallout's out right now. Um, when we, uh, if you, I don't think we have it on Medium right now, but I did rank them when Rogue Nation came out. Um, and I've been reading back through that and kind of seeing what, what I thought and stuff. Um, and so we just wanted to rank them. We're going to go from six to one, saying which are, you know, which are the worst, which are the best, and kind of why. Um, but I wanted to talk, I wanted to start out, and I'll let Jake start since we, we never share our rankings before we roll, but he obviously has some insight into mine since I wrote, I wrote a couple pages about it uh, three years ago. But I'm going to have Jake just kind of give some general thoughts if you don't mind, like, and you can go anywhere you want on this for a few minutes. 
what is the Mission Impossible series? What's fun about it? What's interesting about it? What do they kind of do well or, or you know, anything you want to say? Totally. Uh, I feel like I say this every time we bring up a franchise, but this was another hole in my, like, movie, I guess, buff history or whatever. Um, so I, I did not keep up with this franchise at all. Um, I had only seen Mission Impossible 3 when it came out, so uh, I wanted to rewatch them all uh, for Fallout, and so it was basically first-timing them all. Like, no way. I, I remembered some things about 3, but other than that, it was like yeah. all a totally fresh I'm, not, take, I'm so. even more excited to hear uh, how, you, how you ranked yeah, them. Yeah, so I honestly did not know... I mean, if we're just talking about general things... Yeah, yeah I, please. I did not know that... I don't know how I missed this knowledge all my life. I didn't know that face peeling was a staple of the Mission yeah, Impossible Yeah, because it's from franchise. the TV show. Right, okay. And that was, it was a staple of the TV mm-hmm. show was these masks yeah. that they had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in, when it happened in the first one, and it happens like three times or something like yeah. that, I thought it was like so insane. And uh-huh. I just, I didn't know that I was in for that being like a plot yeah, element yeah, yeah. in every it's single like every single time. Movies. Yeah. Uh, so that was, it's fun. And by the end, by the time I got through the franchise, it was like, okay, this isn't, a campy I mean thing. it it's, is it, it but is, they but do like, a good job of pulling it from that campiness yeah, a little bit yeah. it's campy right but there are a couple I think maybe I have this in my notes oh yeah I spilled water earlier <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's number four where they really like oh yeah they, they try to make it super believable in Ghost Protocol like uh-huh. like talking about and showing you how it's made and kind of like I like that when yeah. it's like we're going to at least give you the illusion that this is totally possible. Right. And, and I thought that, that, that was helpful as it moved on. Yeah. And I think that's a good jumping point to talk about how different the series has been since Ghost Protocol. Mm-hmm. I would say probably that's where the, the shift feels biggest to me. Uh-huh. You joked before we started that that's where they took away the numbers. Yeah. Uh, and switched to colonized titles. Uh-huh. Uh, I actually prefer numbers, but whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, uh, I... I would compare it to a small degree to the Fast and Furious franchise. I mean, that franchise has kind of always maintained its cheesiness on 100%, right? Intentionally. Mission Impossible doesn't have as much of the cheesiness, but it is the same idea of we're acknowledging that pretty much the only point of these movies is to entertain you with action. But we want to do that on a more self-aware and interesting level than other movies trying to do the same thing. for sure. Yeah, we were just talking today because my kids have seen a few of them, but they hadn't seen Mission Impossible 1, which we just watched before uh, Jake and I started recording. Jake was didn't watch it, but my kids and I watched it before we started recording. And they were, my son was like making fun of the effects because one was made in like 96 or whatever. And I was calming him down like, that's just how it was back then. But it's also a tribute because if you move up to Fallout and just to talk about another thing that's been a hallmark of these is the stunts and Tom Cruise doing his own stunts and those stunts and effects looking pretty spectacular, Mm -hmm. especially starting with Ghost Protocol where he's on the side of the Burj Khalifa and I saw that uh, in IMAX and I was astounded because I'm not really a stunt guy like I, I like that they add reality and stuff but I'm not like oh I want to go see this stunt sure speaking of Fast and the Furious when they jump from one building to the other all I was doing was rolling my eyes so far <laughs> up into my head but 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 here there's such a believability factor mm-hmm. and it blew me away in IMAX like when the camera in Ghost Protocol it goes out over the Burj Khalifa. I don't know if you remember when Tom Cruise is up there. Like, I, my breath caught. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, my gosh. Like, oh, we're going over the edge. Like, 
Um, so that's one hallmark too, is, is the effects have gotten better and better. And as we move to fallout like that, they've been like, can we one up ourselves yeah. with real looking stunts that will have it, most audience members going, how in the world did they do that? Um, and so that's been fun to kind of watch them like build upon that and, and find new ways to do something interesting and cool, self-aware for sure, but still within kind of that story and man, just finding insane things where I'm just like, how are you doing this? I Mm -hmm. don't know. So that's, that's been fun too. Yeah. Any, anything else with the, with the series? Um, they switched directors for a long time. Yeah. I guess that's worth talking about. Yeah. They used to want it to be different. I just, again, on the special features, they were talking about how they wanted each installment to feel different. Mm-hmm. So they went from Brian De Palma, who did like the Hitchcockian thing, to John Woo, who did like the slow motion ballet thing, to J.J. Abrams, who did like a more human approach. And then Brad Bird, who I don't know what to say about his other than it was a slicker style. Um, it kind of upped the game on everything. Yeah. And then Christopher McQuarrie was the first one. He did the last two. He did Rogue Nation and Fallout, which are the first two to have the story directly carry over from one to the other. So that's that's been interesting. Yeah. Just kind of seeing the different... I'll talk about that a little bit more when I sure. touch on a couple of the individual movies, but um, I I wish I there had been a little bit more, like, I guess, a distinct style from movie to movie since sure. they were switching directors. Because... Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll, 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 whatever, I'll say more. I think, honestly, though, between, what are we, five and six, uh, both directed by Christopher McQuarrie, the, to me, I think those are the two, that's like the biggest jump in style, and I'll say a little bit more about yeah. why. Yeah, yeah, I'm, um, I'd love to hear that. But yeah. I was going to say, for me, I think the biggest jump is one to two, just because John Woo's, well, we'll get to this in a minute. I Probably in a really quick minute, but I'm not going to assume to know where Jake's going with his rankings, but... Um, that that was a very because De Palma like kind of blew up what Mission Impossible was on TV, by having you know the the hero of the series be the bad guy in Mission Impossible One, and then in number two it was just like this straight up action movie that featured all the hallmarks of John Woo, slow mo, ballet fights, doves, and a plot that no one cared about or even wanted to follow with stock options and stuff and and. And so for me, it was always one to two that had the biggest difference. Okay, okay. But I'm really excited about hearing five, five to six, kind of seeing that difference. Um, and then I just wrote a few notes down. Um, other thing I wanted to say is just, um, is ask, I guess. I, I just wanted to ask, do you think that there's, because you talked about the self-awareness, uh, which is totally there. Do you think that there is a, a desire on the part of some of the directors to ground it in credibility? Or do you think that they're like, no, no, no. No one in the audience cares if any of this feels credible. And I know credible, we can kind of take that how we will, but right. what, are, what are your thoughts on that idea? And I, I've been thinking about it a lot, especially with Rogue Nation and, and Fallout and then going back and watching number one today. Um, like, do they even care? Is there anyone sitting there and going like, well, could this happen? Right. Uh, I think with some installments more than others. Sure. Um, but I would say more so as it goes on in general, the further we get into the franchise, the more 
they want it to feel that way and I don't know it's like in some ways they do but there's that aspect of like they're trying to one up themselves yeah. and make it feel bigger that's why that's more, where the question came from more ridiculous yeah. right and so yeah I don't know what do you think I, I the same thing that you said honestly is that they're still trying to tether it to credibility mm-hmm. and your 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 Fast and the Furious reference is very apt because the Fast and the Furious has gotten more and more ridiculous but in a way where they don't care at all right. if it could at all happen and that's fine self-aware mm-hmm. totally fine with that but with Mission Impossible then interesting especially with Fallout with them totally trying to one-up themselves but there, there seemed to me to be more of an element of like, but could this happen? And I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed that because it's like always ground it a little bit. We're pulling it back to earth a little bit. Let's let the stunt soar, but let's also bring a, a tiny eye of realism. A right. Tiny eye yeah, because I think the way, the, what makes Mission Impossible different than Fast and Furious with the stunts or those huge act, action sequences is I think... The thing that makes the Mission Impossible stunts ridiculous is that it, like, all happens in one movie and that, like, yeah, things yeah, yeah. keep going that wrong uh-huh. or whatever. Sure. But as far as, like, the physics and that kind of thing, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's totally wrong. But it's presented in a way that feels, to someone like me who knows nothing about that stuff, it feels realistic. And, yeah. and knowing that Tom Cruise is doing, doing much most of the, the stuff stunts. as he can yeah, yeah. makes it all feel real. So. Yeah, yeah. So, oh yeah, we're going to dive in. At the end, we're going to talk a little bit about if it'll continue and if they'll keep Christopher McQuarrie, which I'm, I'm really curious about. I assume it will continue with the success of Fallout. Um, but yeah, we're going to jump in. We're going to jump into the rankings. I'll start, and then Jake will go, and then he'll go again, and he'll come back to me, and then we'll kind of snake down. That's what we like to do. Um, one thing I wanted to make sure to say, and this is, I'm, I'm pulling this quote from what I wrote a couple years ago, but I had read some stuff about the rankings, and... Uh, MTV back then in 2015 said ranking, they were talking about, (laughs) they were talking about the four ones they considered the best, which we'll get to that in a minute. There were only five at the time, but they said (laughs) ranking the top four is like a game of inches. And then Entertainment Weekly said the problem of ranking the Mission Impossible films is initially a problem of applying definition to the undefinable. The reason I wanted to say this is because for me, the top five, besides the one I'm about to tell you was number six. The top five for me are very close. Like I, I know that the one that I have fifth is a ton of people's favorites. And I, and I, I don't begrudge that. I'm not sad about it. I'm not like, what? I get it. And then the one that I have, a couple that I have up at the top, I know are not people's favorites. They're like, no, that one's ridiculous for these reasons or whatever. And I totally get that. For me, it's a tribute to some of that different style. I know there's a lot of same style too. And just what people gravitate to in a movie like this. And I'll talk a little bit. My top two share something very much in common. And, um, and it's a thing that's always been super important to me in movies. But I'll start with my number six. So my least favorite. They're all, they're all, I enjoy them all. I do okay? too. And this one is the silliest in my mind. But my least favorite, number six, is Mission Impossible 2. Or MI2, <laughs> if you would like. That is directed by John Woo. Um, and I, you know, I don't want to say too much, but most of the IFT, IMF team doesn't do a lot. The villain is over the top because I like a good villain, but he's snarling and weird. And I mentioned earlier, stock, stock options. And then when they jump off the two motorcycles to meet in the middle, (laughs) like the thing is like, I get it and I'm okay with it. And I think the first time I saw it, I was kind of like, oh, that's fun. 
but it's like too much. And, and it was almost like John Woo parodying himself because there's a lot of moments in it and some moments that I love that feel like somebody's making fun of John Woo. Like when you see the, the flames in Ethan's eyes at one point, I'm into that. But you would also see someone being like, oh, we're gonna show the flames in his eyes because that's totally a John Woo thing to do. Um, and, but I do think it's somewhat trashy fun. Totally. Um, and and I, I don't hate it at all. But for me, as far as what I love about the Mission Impossible movies, it, it, it ends up being number six. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I, uh, like Chad, I, I enjoy all of these movies. I, I like them all, I would say. Um, I, with my number six, I am going to blaspheme. Not number two. I'm going to blaspheme. I'm going to lose all credibility with any new <laughs> listeners jumping in for this, <laughs> this episode that's already turning out to be a very long episode. <laughs> we uh, like to talk. We do. And you like to listen, maybe. We hope. Um, <laughs> all right. Oh, here it comes. My I'm excited. Six, my just, number just... six is the original Mission oh, Impossible. Very nice. Very nice. So like I said, I like them all. This is the, absolutely the one I enjoyed the least. Um, you have to understand it's a totally different experience when you go into a whatever classic, maybe a pop culture classic film for the first time, especially years after years and years after having grown up, having, you know, certain preconceptions about it based on Mm -hmm. other people's love for it and things like that. So I had very high expectations for my first viewing of the original mission impossible and more than anything else, I was very, very bored. Oh, bored. <laughs> Which I, I hate using as a criticism for movies because, like, some of my favorite movies are slow about the paced. most mundane yeah. things. They're super slow-paced. So I'm totally open to a movie not, you know, if you're already starting to type your comments to me about how I need explosions <laughs> constantly to like a movie. That's not, that's oh, not what I'm saying. Oh, please type that, though. Please type that. <laughs> Just so we know you're listening. People are still listening at 49 minutes in, and they're like, oh, right now I'm getting on Facebook. Jake, why do you love explosions so much? Do it. Um, but I, I would say it's, it's barely an action movie. Honestly, there were like three action sequences in the movie, and I loved all of them. Especially the iconic, they're iconic, yeah. The iconic drop-down, completely exhilarating. Loved yeah, every yeah. second of it. Um, but I, I just was not... Uh, I did not enjoy the plot at all, trying to follow it, all the dialogue scenes yeah, yeah. and stuff. Uh, in other movies, I think the plots work The plots work better for me in other movies. I find them interesting, but with this one, I, I did not. Um, I also, I should add, have zero experience with the TV series, so I'm, I've just learned now, I guess, the main character from the series was the villain. Yes, the okay. yes, yes, yes. Not the actor, who is John Voight. Uh-huh. But it, it was even the main character is the same actor played it. The, the series was rebooted in the 80s. When I was a kid, uh-huh. and I actually wrote the studio, and they sent me a glossy black and white of oh, no the guy way. who played Jim Phelps, who was Peter Graves, who has since passed away, but he played Jim Phelps in that one and the one in the sixties and seventies, huh. and so my mom, as I mentioned earlier, right. was—I mean, she will still tell you, and I hope you're listening, mom. I'm not making fun. She will get in people's faces—not get in people's faces, mom. You're wonderful, but she would be like, he would never have betrayed the IMF. I mean, she gets right. mad. She gets angry because she's like, that's not the character. Which is what, when you hear Tom Cruise and Paula Wagner and, and Brian De Palma talk about, it's what they wanted to do. Yeah. They wanted to give you this different thing. They wanted to explode what you expected. Okay. But, and see, I had none of that. Yeah. I was just going in as, this is a Tom Cruise movie. I know it's based on a TV show. I figured, I didn't even know Mission Impossible was that popular of a TV series. Right. Especially I, the initial incarnation. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of thought it was one of those just like, we're adapting a series no one ever really watched and we're going to turn it into a big movie that right. everyone will watch, right? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I didn't have that character surprise reversal thing. So sure. I 
definitely sequences that I loved, but uh, overall, I enjoyed the first one the least. Nice. And I, I, I'll save mine for when I get to that one. Uh, but I did want to say just this. Uh, very much the opposite experience where I saw it in 96 and have always enjoyed it. I've seen it more than any of the other six. Again, I'm not saying where it is. It's not as high as you probably think. But um, uh, I was quoting lines today and um, have loved Ving Rhames ever since seeing Mission. So I appreciated you kind of giving that context because I do think it makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. Not that you would have loved it if you were watched it in 96, but that there is a different viewing experience when that was the first one and it just came out. Sure. And all that stuff. So, no, no. I'm, I, really I mean, I'm glad to be surprised. That's what I love about these rankings. So, you're number five then. Oh, yeah. We'll go straight in with number five. But maybe this will uh, rest some, some worrying souls out there. <laughs> my number five is number two. I'm not going to... That's not going to be my number one or anything. Um, so, uh, if it had two. lasted past five, I would have been like, okay, I, I want to hear how he explains this when we get to number whatever he has yeah. MI2 at. I can, I, so, I can recognize that number one is definitely a more, like restrained, well-thought-out, well-written movie. Totally. I get that. But I had so much more fun watching number two. Chad used the phrase trashy fun to describe this movie, and I I couldn't agree more. Just coming off... I watched all these movies pretty close together. Coming off of my disappointment that number one didn't totally, like, connect... uh, That I didn't connect with number one like I hoped I would or enjoyed as much as I thought I would... uh, it was just a, so much fun to see number two. The, nice. There, there are so many fun sequences, even if they're executed in silly ways. Right, right. Um, the plot is silly. Most of the characters are silly, but uh, I had a great time. If it, we keep, I keep making this comparison, but it, it felt like one of the more fun Fast and Furious movies right, to me. Right. So I nice. like that about it. Nice. Um, and my, I mean, it really feels jarring to do my number five. Um, because I know many people have it, number one, and I, I would assume Jake has it much higher um, than I have it. And I think some of my... I, I don't want to say disappointment, because I love this movie. I, I, I really do have mad love for the, all, all the rest I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through, but um, some of my disappointment just comes from the fact that this is many people's favorites, or a lot of people I know, and it's not that I'm reacting to that or being biased. It's nothing like that. But for me, the first time I saw it, it felt like, oh, this is really well executed. I like a lot of this. But it was missing some of the things that I really enjoy about the Mission Impossible movies. My number five is Ghost Protocol. And um, it felt very slick. And there are a bunch of great sequences, like the Burj Khalifa one. But I didn't feel like there was a ton of heart in it. And some of the side characters, like Paula Patton, they didn't feel like they were there to do anything. Now, that's happened, that happens in some of the ones I have higher, too. So that's not the only thing. But the villain is super forgettable, and, and for me, the final, the final confrontation, for me, was one of the least satisfying. Like, it felt long, and it didn't feel clever. They're fighting, and the cars are falling and stuff, and they're going from car to car, if oh, you know, recall, right. kind of. Mm-hmm. For me, that sequence didn't work as well. Um, and, and so that really colored my overall enjoyment of Ghost Protocol, because there was so much great stuff I liked earlier. Um, but when it came to that final thing, I was like, oh, we're ending kind of with a whimper in a very action-y movie, in a very cliche action movie way. Um, and I, I would be lying if I didn't say this, I missed Ving Rhames, who, who I love in the series. I love that he's been in every one. He is in Ghost Protocol, but only for the last three minutes. 
it's a cam it's a glorified cameo, but he still gets to hold the title as the only other person who's in all the movies. And I don't I, I, I don't even think I really realized how much I missed it till I did this ranking a couple years ago. Like, oh yeah, I think it's because I miss Ving Rhames. Because I like his and and uh, Ethan's relationship. Yeah. Well, I guess I'm using an actor name and a character name. His and Tom Cruise's relationship. Like I miss that in in uh, Ghost Protocol. So and my sister Krista, I, if you're listening, you know I love you and you know I respect your opinion and I know why you love Ghost Protocol. Please don't hate me for having it so low. I know it's Krista's favorite, um, and I know it's a lot of people's favorites. And it is not bitterness or anything that has me put it low. A, a smidge of disappointment just moved that razor thin margin, just pushed it a tiny bit down to number five. Okay. So, anyway, that's mine. My number four, trying to make sure I have them right here. Yes, my number four is uh, number one. Oh, yeah. Okay. Whew. Yeah, yeah, my number were, four is number one. No, no. I'm a super fan. No, no, and I love Mission Impossible One, but I, I, I keep using the word love and I'm not doing it to. I, I really love the, the other five. Two I struggle with, but I really love the other five with, with unabashed love. Um, and yeah, I like the labyrinthine plot of, of Mission Impossible. I remember it was a big deal. People used to make jokes in the reviews, like the struggle you'll have is even following the story. And I don't feel like the story's that complicated. Like I'm not saying it's like super easy and linear, mm -hmm. but I feel like you can put the, connect yeah, the sure. dots. Um, you talked about some of the iconic sequences. There are multiple lines that I love. Um, I love, I love the kind of the, the, the surprise of killing off everybody in the opening scene. Sure. And I know it's not everybody and it ends up being a lot less than everybody than we think, but you kill off a bunch of the team at the beginning. Obviously the, the Jim Phelps thing was a surprise. Um, I love the aquarium run. Um, and of course the sequence where he hangs the sequence at the end too. I don't mind, even though it's dated, but with the helicopter, um, but there's a lot of Brian De Palma does some interesting things as a filmmaker, and I'm not saying it's all stuff that works. But the really tight close-ups, the close-ups from underneath that give it kind of that claustrophobic feel, and the sequence where Ethan's putting it together but pretending like he's not. I I've always found that with the music. I, I uh, you saw on Instagram some of you. It's the first score that I ever bought mm -hmm. was Mission Impossible, and the score that's playing underneath that scene where Ethan is figuring it out. And then the way they're, he's saying different things to Jim and they're showing us what he's seeing. Like, I, I find that sequence, as a 16-year-old, I was like, oh, movie making. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, this is how you edit. This is how you, this is how you write to edit. Edit it in the way you want. Bring in the music that really ups it. Like, I still get the, the electricity of, like, understanding what filmmaking was from the first time that I saw Mission Impossible when I see that scene again. Because Brian De Palma brought, like you said, a little bit of a, a more subtle approach than even most of the other ones, probably. Um, and, and like, I, I keep using this word, and I, I wrote it when we did it too, but a little more Hitchcockian. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, no, I, I wasn't at all like, oh, blasphemy, you have it number six. <laughs> um, but I, I, there's a jolt I get when I still watch it. Uh, Mission Impossible 1 of like realizing like oh yeah this was a this was something that meant a lot to me at the time that I saw it when I was 15, 16, 17 I don't remember the exact exact year so but that's my number 4 okay it's interesting how like I don't know to me what feels like kind of the formula for Mission Impossible movies is the first one's really not even like that as far as yeah. like the last few feel pretty similar with yeah, especially the last three. The, huh? Yeah, like, especially. I don't know, something happens, now we're putting together a team, and this is the thing we're trying to accomplish. Yeah. I mean, there, there's always a mission to accomplish, right? But uh, I think 
The first one is notably very different in structure. And the other ones are more like the series. And the first one is that's that's what was oh, is, that's what's ir- ironic about yeah. it, mm-hmm. is they came in to say like, oh yeah, here's this thing. We're going to kind of set it up. We'll show you the opening scene where he pulls off the mask. We pull the thing back. Hey, we got the thing we wanted. Like that was like the conclusion of the series. Right. This is that opening that they started with. And then like, oh, here's another job. Ooh, how are they going to pull this off? Oh, everyone's dead. What? And so that, that was what they were doing was kind of exploding. I know we already said that, but like in the context of the other five, it's even more of an anomaly because it's like, they're like, oh no, let's go back to what Mission Impossible was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so with that, uh, my number, uh, what am I on? Four. four right? Yeah. My number four uh, is the movie that I, I think most established Mission Impossible as we know it now, uh, being Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Um, definitely felt like kind of a, yeah, a new era for the movies, even though it wasn't released really any longer after... Like, these movies have been released pretty consistently, right? There's no, like, super long break where it kind of became more of a reboot or anything like that. But I think the changing of the title to the colonized thing... Yeah. And just... uh, I think we had a pretty big jump as well just in how movies look from between the mid-2000s and, like, the early 2010s or whatever. Uh, So it has a much more modern look uh, that holds up more than any of the previous movies as far as looking like other blockbusters that are uh, released today. Um... But yeah, what a what a blast of a yeah. movie. Uh, yeah. And Brad Bird, I don't think I gave him a shout out but earlier. Um, no, when we were talking before, that's all. Sorry, when oh, we were yeah. talking before, but Brad Bird, who directed Ratatouille, The Iron Giant, Incredibles 1 and 2, and Tomorrowland. This is like an anomaly somewhat on his um, resume. Yeah. Because it's this action movie, which I know The Incredible, you could argue, you could totally argue, and, and I, you'd be right, has some similar vibe. But it really felt like one of the only like adult movies, you know, he kind of stepped out of this kids movie yeah. thing or whatever, but showed he had a real flair for putting together sequences, whether they be animated or people yeah. or real people. Sorry, I cut you off. Absolutely. Um, and so uh, obviously the building, climbing the building, that is this Sheesh. one, right? Yeah, Burj, Burj Khalifa. Man, that is okay. massively impressive filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sheesh. astounding. Yeah, um, the sandstorm stuff. Oh well. yeah, thank you for bringing that mm-hmm. up. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, uh, so it's just just some really really excellent sequences, just like in all of these movies, um, but especially well executed. Um, <clears throat> and uh, what was I gonna say? Oh, and to me, it definitely felt like this one kind of like started we might have, we may have said this already but started more the trend of like bringing the same characters yeah. along and stuff mm-hmm. like that we had simon Pegg come on from number three continue on from number three yeah. i mean luther uh, had been there all along right he always has been that's yeah the well, right? that's what's mm-hmm. so that's weirdly ironic about this because this one started with benji coming over but then they got rid of luther yeah in this one right yeah and, and then threw him the little bone at the very end when he comes in and they check out Ethan's wife who's just like there. They're just like watching her right. making sure she's okay. Mm-hmm. Which I like though because that was also carrying over slightly from number three. Like we're not ignoring anymore yeah, exactly. that these previous ones happened. Yeah, so it started to feel more like a, a an overall arcing story. Yeah. Um, and started to establish that kind of like this is the gang, you know. It, it changes from movie to movie. Sure. but. Creating that feeling of a of, of family. <laughs> Fast and <laughs> furious. Yeah, uh, yeah right. well said. I like that analysis. And I want to I mention that we had none that were the same, but we had the same oh, yeah. three. 
cool. the same bottom three, but we oh. cycled them in different directions. Oh. You know what I mean? Okay, this will be great though. Uh, but we have the same bottom three, so we're about to have the same top three. It'll be interesting to see if any of them fall in the same. Ooh, yeah. I guess let's Am hear I from going you. On yeah, then? you're number three. Um, so my number three is simply the next movie in the series, Rogue Nation. <laughs> uh, I'll admit... Uh, and this is what I'm talking about a little bit was with how I wish there had been more different style from director to director. I probably already in my mind mix up Ghost Protocol and Rogue Nation a little bit because to me, they didn't stand, neither of them did anything that like felt especially different style wise from a directing standpoint. Um, so for these ones, it was mostly we're establishing this new cast and then like the standout stunts are what I remember most about them. Um, so Rogue Nation has the incredible underwater. Oh my gosh. We were talking about it with my kids today. Mm -hmm. We're like, how do they even do it? It looks great. It looks amazing. Um, and at least what, what are the other big stunts? When he's strapped to the side of the plane at the beginning. At the very beginning of right, Rogue right, Nation. Right. Literally the opening Yes, yes, yes. Okay, and he's yes. actually strapped to the side. You yes. can like find stuff online where uh-huh. it's like, oh yeah, we strapped him to the side of the plane. Like, oh, you got to be kidding me. Oh yeah. And he's waiting for Benji to open the door. Or yeah. yeah. Not that so door. Good. And Luther somewhere else. <laughs> like, also like, Jimmy, like, you got to open the door, Benji, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Um, so I would say this is, for me, a, a slight improvement on uh, Ghost Protocol. I, th- I do remember feeling like just pacing wise, it felt a little bit less like getting from stunt to stunt, and it was more like we're doing cool things the entire time. Yeah, you have the addition of Rebecca Ferguson, right? Who's I'll awesome. talk about that. Okay, shortly. Okay, great. I think that's one. Of, like, that's probably the best decision they've ever made for the franchise, honestly, she's because so good, such a good addition, and she's great in Fallout, but Rogue Nation, she is right. Perfect. And you're unsure about her allegiances yeah. throughout the movie, right? Which and and they fun. tie it into the story really well. Yeah. Those those shifting allegiances, or not shifting allegiances, mm-hmm. just not our understanding of the allegiances. Yeah. Right. Uh, and of course, the introduction of Solomon Lane, uh, who I think you mentioned, is a great villain. Yeah, he's good. Um, so, Sean uh, Harris does a good job in his voice. Just his voice. Sean Harris, the actor, uh-huh. who plays Solomon Lane. Yeah, yeah. His voice, voice is so is like kind of creepy and compelling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so for me... Um, Rogue Nation is like top-notch execution of action sequences, but uh, and I love it, but doesn't have the stylistic flair that I'm going to talk about with my top two. Nice. Um, yeah. uh, my number three is also Rogue Nation. No way. So, yeah, yeah. Well, now we'll see if they're all the same, but um, this one's the hardest one for me to put here because uh, when I saw it in the theaters, there was a special kind of exhilaration when I saw Rogue Nation. Because I had loved Ghost Protocol, but maybe didn't feel that same like, whoa, you have really done something here that people felt with Ghost Protocol. But I felt it with Rogue Nation. And then the sequence you didn't even mention, the sequence at the opera, I just think is oh, so well edited. And they let it breathe a little bit and you don't quite know who's doing what. And you know, Rebecca Ferguson looks sexy too, but she's also like, having to figure out what she's going to do to solve this thing. Um, they give her kind of that move where she runs up onto people's heads, and which she also doesn't fall <laughs> out, which I just think is hilarious, but really cool. It looks cool, and it actually works where you're like, this could, I could laugh at this, and maybe you did, and maybe other people did, but I don't laugh at it. I'm like, oh, that is badass. You know, like that. It's, I, I was like, 
so into Rogue Nation when I saw it. And that's why I took the kids. My kids were a little bit younger and probably shouldn't have seen Rogue Nation. But I was like, hey, do you guys want to go see Rogue Nation? Because I just wanted to go see it again. Yeah. Because it, 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 it just electrified me. And it's so weird that I'm saying this about my number three. But I'll talk about why in a minute, similar to what, what you're about to do. And for me, it wasn't even stylistic stuff. I, I think some of my favorite direction, a lot of my favorite direction is in Rogue Nation. And it's not necessarily flashy stuff, but it's really solid going from here to there to here. And action sequence stuff. Christopher McQuarrie is a good action director. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Where, you know, there's not the editing where it feels like you had to miss something. It's not, and a lot of that attributed to Tom Cruise for sure, like you mentioned earlier. Um, hardest for me to put Rogue Nation here. And, and I almost bumped it to some of the other ones, but, the, you know, the, I felt strongly about putting the other two we haven't gotten to yet at, mm-hmm. at two and one. Um, and then Benji's really funny. Oh, yeah. And Luther came back in a big way after four. Mm-hmm. Like, they had him kind of be a real big part yeah. of it. And, and they're trading on him. They did some great stuff with this in Fallout, too. But they're trading on him being this friend of Ethan's who he's trusted for all these years. And then, like you talked about, the shifting allegiances. And then the biggest thing I wanted to mention is the mano a mano aspect of him and Solomon Lane. I found that super compelling. Yeah. And then the way they kind of have the... Um, um, uh, not, I, there's a, a great English word that I can't think of. But the way it came full circle to him getting gassed at the end. Sorry if you haven't seen Rogue Nation. Mm. But, but the way they use the beginning and then the end. And it's like that opening scene where, where Solomon Lane does what he does. That's what's there the whole time for Tom Cruise. Kind of making him be this maniacal chaser. And then they put Benji in harm's way at the end. Like I was, uh. I was, I, I, I was, it never slacked for me the first time I saw it. I was just locked in and I was like, wow, you took all the things about Mission Impossible that are good and you upped them, but not in a bombastic way, in a way where everything still feels except on a higher level. And so that for me was just, yeah, I mean, I, I said, I might say less about the other two, but trust me when I say I do like them better. Right. But this one, there was a special experience of watching it for that first time in the theater three years ago or whatever of like, how are you guys making these movies better still? Like that doesn't make any sense to me. So yeah, I was a, uh, I was a big fan of that one. Just better and better and better. Yeah. Okay. So oh, oh, it's no. my two. Oh, no, please. No, wait. Yeah, it is. Your Were two, you going to huh? go to two? Mm, no, but I thought it was my turn, but it's totally yours. But do so you want to add more about Rogue Nation though? Um, no. I'm good. Oh, okay. I'm good. I'm just getting excited to talk about my number two. Okay, so here's my number two, and and I'm, I I love that Jake hasn't said this one yet because before we saw Fallout, my kids and I looked at a lot of lists. And there were a few hallmarks of the lists. And the biggest hallmarks were apologies. Two was almost always last. I believe that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's not even a big deal. But it was every once in a while it was second to last. Um, And then uh, the other hallmark was that Ghost Protocol was usually in the top two. Um, The one I'm about to mention, and I don't know what Jake has number two, was all over the place. We saw it as last. We saw it as first, and we saw it almost everywhere in between. And, and I think I know why, because there, it, there are moments where it feels more like, like a TV show quality, even though I don't think that. Like I, 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 can, I can peer in through other people's eyes and see what they're doing. But the thing that unites my one and two is, is they're strong, there's a stronger heart. And we talked about this with Dunkirk. I, I know you guys only got to see this on Facebook, listeners, but... 
Dunkirk, I didn't have in my top 10 and it was blasphemous to, to Eric and Jake and I understood why, but my heart was never really involved in Dunkirk. My mind was always involved and I loved the filmmaking and I thought he should have won Best Director because I thought that's how good he was. And yet I didn't have it in my top 10. Total contradiction. And I see the contradiction, I understand the contradiction. But my number two is Mission Impossible 3. And, oh, and, and Mission Impossible 3, like, there's such a beating heart to Mission Impossible 3 that appeals to me every time I watch it. Even when we watched it again, when I did these rankings, I assumed I wasn't gonna like it again because I remembered how much I like it. I watched it again like, oh yeah, you remember you love this movie. I'm like telling myself yeah. this. Remember you absolutely love this movie. You're still gonna love it. Nothing has changed. Mm -hmm. and, and I had expected it to change. Like with Ghost Protocol and then preparing for Rogue Nation, I had expected that I'd some, it would somehow feel like it dipped in quality. But it didn't. No. And, and a big, 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 big shout out to Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh my god! Who is a better villain than any of them, even though I don't have this number one. He is so good. And, and he had no right to be that good in this movie. No. Like he had no right. There was no reason for him to not to just chew up the scenery. To not and some people might argue he chew up scenery. No, no, no. It's always simmering. It's always big when you expect to be small and small when you expect it to be big, which is great stuff. Um, they use the masks in a really interesting way. Obviously, Ethan gets married in this one. Um, there's a, the final sequence is a lot of him running for a while. There's some incredibly affecting stuff with Carrie Russell and the stuff in the brain. Yeah. Now, they sell short Maggie Q and Jonathan Reese Myers who barely do anything. Yeah. And that's why I was saying, like, okay, I'm going to be a hypocrite later because... That bothered me about some of the earlier ones, but because I was so into everything else happening, this, and then Benji's in it for the first time, and he's hilarious. Yeah. And Luther's great. Mm -hmm. uh, 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 Ming Rames is great. Um, I couldn't, when I went to see it, I could not be true to myself and not have it up really high. And obviously, you can figure out if you've been listening well what my number one is. So if you go to my old list, this is number one. And, and I stand by that, even though I understand why people... And J.J. Abrams hadn't directed very much, if anything? Yeah, I don't know if he'd have done... I'm trying to remember before. if it was his debut or not. Because he was all about TV before that. Yes, so. he was. Um, but he said, so I saw on the special features today on the first disc, I mean on the Mission Impossible 1, where he said, like, we never really looked at Ethan's life. And I love the way that they brought that in. I thought it worked so well. Yeah. And so, yeah, that was, that's my number two. And I know I was more bombastic about the electricity of Rogue Nation, but I was feeling emotions in number three all the time and thought that J.J. like kind of like uh, injected those into the story in a way that made sense. And, and again, had, a, had an opening moment that really kind of catalyzed Ethan in a way when he loses like his protege or whatever mm -hmm. that you expected because of her, her J.J. Abrams background that she'd probably be in the movie more. Yeah. And it worked really well, especially the, the way she dies. It's just like, oh, crap. Yeah. What, a, what an incredible way to start this movie. Yeah, that's my number two. I'm piggybacking because my number two is Mission Impossible <laughs> 3. Uh yeah, so if you remember from an hour and 14 minutes ago, whatever, <laughs> um, I did say uh, that this was uh, the only one I had seen before. Um, I saw it, I watched it a few times, um, 
back when it came out. And I do remember, while I didn't remember the plot super well, I did remember going back into this that, like, this movie helped me see that I could like action movies, which I know sounds really stupid to a lot of people, but I, by that point in my movie watching life, had kind of been convinced that, like, I don't really like action movies like other people do. I'm not excited by this whole thing of people running around with guns. Um, and so the just the name Mission Impossible 3 sounded like something I would never like. But I do remember how much it captured me. Um, and uh, like Chad said, this movie has heart. Um, and now doing this rewatch that I did and after number one and two, ha- the opening scene of number three where you have him begging for uh, his wife's life is like... It's such a J.J. Abrams thing, too. He did that on Alias all the freaking mm-hmm. time. Let me show you something, and then 36 hours earlier, you're like, no, no, I want yeah. to see what happened with that other thing. Right. And so then you're just dreading or building up to that moment and trying to understand it, of course, yeah. in, in this. Exactly. This doesn't make sense but, uh, in your mind. Yeah, and the way Tom Cruise acts, just in that opening sequence alone, it's like, oh, wait, this this Ethan Hunt character can like actually be a person with a personality instead yeah. of just... like an insert to do these cool stunts or whatever, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so uh, I think from the beginning, it's so different. And I think my favorite thing about it, especially in contrast to the first two movies, is how well it integrates character development with action. Because that's what I really struggled with, with both the first and second, is it's like, oh, okay, we're going to have these super dialogue-heavy scenes where we're learning about characters or we're, you know, moving the story forward. Whereas with number three, you have... I think all the kind of earpiece stuff helps, you know, but um, you have these scenes where simultaneously you're getting these insanely well choreographed action scenes and you're also learning the characters' personalities and history and uh, things with each other at the same time. And it's interwoven perfectly. I absolutely love that movie. Nice. I want to say two things. Or maybe just one because I think I forgot the other. You could make an argument. I'm not making that argument right now because I'd have to go look at his... um, the list of all the movies he's directed, that this is still J.J. Abrams' best directed movie. You might jump in like, no, Super 8, or you might jump in like, no, Force Awakens, or or something I'm forgetting, for mm-hmm. sure. But I think you can mount an argument that wouldn't seem silly. No, it wouldn't seem that silly. That this is still J.J. Abrams' best movie, and the best movie, and that's not a knock on him. I think he's very good. Oh, I remember the other thing I was going to say. And I love that the, there's a kind of a closing sequence, and we'll be careful. Our number one, I was, I'm surprised what both of our I'm number so one is. I'm so glad we both yeah. have it. Oh um, we'll stay away from spoilers on our number one because of how recently it has come out. But... And which we did not know was our number one. But this one, it's been out for a while. The the final sequence where she has to kind of shoot people while he's uh, yeah. down. What a flipping of what we expect to. Mm-hmm. And then he just pops up and then he's just like, you did that? Like, yeah. I just thought like, oh man, you and you subverted my expectations at Wait, the end. She's going to save him? Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and in a way too where it, like it could feel anticlimax. Like, well, Ethan didn't do it. Like, well, yeah, he didn't do it because in this case he couldn't. He had to do this other thing. Yeah. He had to get his heart started and not <laughs> blow up or whatever the thing was, you know. Um, he had to do that in order in order to live. And this woman that he loves that he, you know, just got married to, right? They're already married at that point, right? Yeah. I think they get married partway mm-hmm. through. Um, has to kind of save him. Um, that was just poetic and nice. Awesome. And yeah, that yeah, yeah. so good. That's cool. Um, and it's your number one in mine, but I'm going to let you start because it's your oh turn. Oh my so. gosh. Okay. Yeah. So I cannot, literally cannot believe <laughs> that Fallout is directed by the same guy who made Rogue Nation. I spouted <laughs> all kinds of love for Rogue Nation. It's awesome. But as I've been hinting at with all these rankings, uh, 
I don't really think any of these movies have like a super artistic, stylistic flair. They're super well choreographed, you know, edited, whatever, but in a very standard, sure. standard way, right? Like competent to portray what we need to see on screen and it's fun. We can tell what's happening. It's great. Um, but Mission Impossible Fallout is art. Uh, it is <laughs> on another level completely. There are these stylistic choices that make the movie stand out in ways that none of the other ones do. Um, the action is not only is the action like some of the best, probably the best out of all the movies, but the way that it is uh, filmed, right? The cinematography, the sound design. Yeah. Um, they do these long takes. Uh, yeah. This, the production design, everything about it is like, for me, it's a perfect, it's a perfect movie. I'm not even going to like qualify it with just a perfect action movie um, because I feel like that makes it sound like, oh, like, it's on this dumber level or something like that, but I don't believe that at all. I think it's, this is um, the rare movie that accomplishes both being an extreme crowd pleaser, anyone can sit down and be completely enthralled by it, but for people who like to look for things like interesting choices in filmmaking, it's also absolutely top-notch in those areas. Nice. Well said. Uh, I just wanted to add that all my favorite things about all the other movies are in this movie. Um, there's heart. And I won't go too much more into that, but there are some really affecting um, screenplay moments, script moments, where I was like, whoa, unexpected, totally makes sense. You laid the groundwork. I didn't see it coming. When it came, I was surprised. After my surprise, I was like, that makes perfect sense. Like, you know, it just like, uh, Christopher McQuarrie, who, by the way, wrote The Usual Suspects and is an Oscar-winning screenwriter. Like, right. the dude knows what he's doing. But here you have him bringing some of those tricks into a genre not normally known for, for that stuff. There are homages to like almost every movie that came before. And you know what? I'm not going to say, and then this one, this, and then this one, this. And not what I mean, but you can feel a sense of him like paying tribute to the rock climbing Ethan that we saw yeah. in number uh -huh. two. Obviously to Rogue Nation, no doubt, right? Um, in, in number four... The end of number four plays into what we see here. There are some dialogue moments too that like I, 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 you know, if you're a longtime listener or someone who just knows me, I cry in movies. I don't normally cry in a movie like this. I teared up a couple times. Mm -hmm. I cleared up a couple times. And one of them was just a great, I thought, performance and a way of tying it all together in a dialogue scene between Luther and another character. Um, where he's just kind of talking through some things. And like, I, I was surprised that I teared up even though I do it all the time. I'm like, oh, you just hit me with that. And, and, and there's some interesting, I don't want to, I don't want to use cliche words, but this would also like say a little too much. There's some, they find some uh, new avenues to explore the idea of uh, attraction. That sounded terrible because I was trying, <laughs> I was trying to be as like, completely not say what I actually wanted to say but they do a good job of like kind of exploring more of Ethan's life at the same time um, and I mean the, the only like tiny 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 if I could have any criticism would be I wanted a little more funny Benji but I don't I didn't care he's still in it a lot he mm -hmm. still gets to do a lot of really cool stuff um, and, and uh, some people said that the conclusion the final action sequence is a little long like I, I understand that, and it was a little long, but I was into it the oh, whole time. Yeah. And, and that, that final sequence has some astounding shots mm -hmm. where I was saying out loud, how did they do that? 
and really wondering how they did that. Like, oh my gosh. I want you to tell me how you got some of those helicopter shots. Like, what in the world? Right? Yeah. I mean, but like, right? And then, of course, you have the, the spillover from this one really does pick up pretty close after um, um, Rogue Nation. Um, there, there is some character death without saying too much that I thought was affecting enough. It's yeah, not sure. like it was some big, like I was crying or moving moment or whatever, but was affecting enough. There's some great use of the, the double switch where uh-huh. you think something's happening and something else is happening, but like even knowing it and having seen it from others and even maybe anticipating it, let's say like five seconds before it happened, I thought was so well placed. Yeah. Where you're like, the audience has figured stuff out. I'm going to be careful here. The audience has figured out some stuff. And it's supposed to because it's there in the script. And you're kind of mad, maybe, that other characters aren't on the same level as you. And then they find a pretty interesting way of letting it, letting you in on what's going on. I'm trying to be so careful. I know. I understand. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm translating. Um, yeah, good, good. And if you've seen it out there, you'll know what I'm talking about. And if you haven't, we're trying our best not to ruin it. But if you're a fan of the Mission Impossible movies, I, I, ju- I just I can't envision a scenario where you wouldn't love Fallout. Right. But right? I'll also add, if you've always been like, and those seen like silly action movies seriously check it out at least watch rogue nation before you go in yeah. for plot necessities but if that's all you want to do that's fine fallout's an amazing movie there's a there's a specific moment like i don't remember less than half an hour in for sure pretty early on where i was well, I hope like i can translate this where I, I mean it's not a spoiler I, people have been talking about this se- sequence all over the place but the the jump the uh the airplane jump that's a long take uh, the, oh, the airplane jump. Now, mm-hmm. right now, I'm suddenly not remembering it. Because when you said jump, I was thinking about the building jump. And I'm no. like, that's way later. And it was just pretty cool. Lightning. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe I forgot just now. Right. I can't believe you did either. But from that moment, I was like, oh, we're in for something different yeah. here. Like, this is... That, this and is that thing, level. again, you're, you're watching it as even uh, as a... Uh, Regular moviegoer, as someone who loves movies, as someone who loves action, as someone who doesn't love action, as someone who likes cinematography or whatever, and you're just going, so they just filmed them jumping then? Yeah. They just got all this in the air while they were jumping because that's how good it looks? It's just, you're just seeing it happen. Right? It's just real. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, what the freak? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, oh. I'm so sorry. I forgot. I feel very, I feel like embarrassed, but yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh, yeah, it just never lets up. There's yeah. a, a bathroom scene that's uh-huh, absolutely uh-huh. incredible, which without knowing what that refers to, that probably sounds weird. Uh, yeah, and and uh, and within that bathroom scene, like how that bathroom scene resolves, it's mm-hmm. like interesting and took me by surprise, even though I knew certain characters were showing right. up. You're still like, well, oh, 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 now I want to know what's up with this. Now yeah. I want to figure out what's going on there. Um, yeah. And it's, like, it's good. Plot aside, the fact that like the fight, the, there's a fight scene in a bathroom. Okay. I'll spoil that one. Yeah. 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 Uh, You've seen it in the trailer. Yeah. The scene itself is amazing. Like the way the, the, the fight's edited. I don't feel like you don't get that kind of like Marvel effect where there are just like shots of, you know, whipping and like yeah. nothing, you know, where you're like, what am I actually seeing yeah. in this fight scene? It's, right? it, they made a concerted effort to give you a shot of everything in everything. Yeah. Never was it like, well, we need to cut away now. It's like, no, right. no. we're going to show everything 
in a way where these incredible things feel completely credible. That's where that original question came from. Uh-huh. was me knowing I was working up to Fallout. I didn't know you were working oh, up to Fallout. Right. Mm-hmm. But that credible thing is like, how in the one with the most outrageous stunts am I feeling like this is the most realistic? Yeah, exactly. That's so weird. Right. Like, how'd you do that? Yeah. And like, finishing my thoughts on this bathroom scene, all of this happening in this like, you know, super like artsy-fartsy modernist completely white bathroom and you have this like dance club beat thumping in the, in the background. background like they didn't need to do that stuff to make people like this movie but it's it's all there but they and did it's so awesome they did Ugh. yeah it's very good I'm, uh, that's really cool I mean uh, Jake and I have had a lot of times when our rankings have been very similar and very different um, but I'm, I'm actually really surprised but happily surprised yeah just because I have in my own mind, like, oh, yeah, I know not everyone agrees that number three is one of the best, you know. Or, sure. Or that Rogue Nation's better than Ghost Protocol. Nor is it so, super acceptable to take the newest installment and something and call and it like, number one. this is the best. But, or, I mean, like, halfway through, I was just like, oh, they're on another level. It's in another this level. Movie. You gave me the electricity of uh, Rogue Nation, to, speaking personally, with the heart of uh, three. Uh, three. With the sometimes trashy fun of two, except without the silliness. Yeah. But still trashy fun, but like within, and I know trashy makes it sound like a backhanded compliment. That's not what I mean. Um, with the slick, uh, death-defying stunts yes. of four that were introduced by Brad Bird. Um, and yeah, yeah, and you're right, because one's so different. I don't know that there's anything with one, except that one, we were talking about this today, establishes the trust and the relationship of Luther and... Um, there's yeah. like a specific moment in, in one. Well, one's so old, I'm going to say it. There's a specific moment in one where Jean Reno, who's the bad guy, has the knock list. Tom Cruise does this great thing where he does all this sleight of hand to show him that he doesn't actually have the list. And then they talk for a while and uh, he throws, the bad guy throws the list in the trash like, oh, I can't believe. And that really was the list. I don't know if you remember this. Mm-hmm. And Tom Cruise goes and gets it out and gives it to Ving Rhames, Luther. And he's like, I trust you to hold this. And I said to my kids, like, that's right there what the rest of the movie, their relationship is built right. on, is that moment. And, and for, for <laughs> McQuarrie to translate all of that into a two-hour and 15-minute action movie that soars in movie making, too, is, is a pretty impressive feat. Yeah. So, will he make the next one? Right, because as we said, he's the first director to make two of these movies. Uh-huh. The first one, and the first time to really take the exact plot and how it ended and continue. Right. There's been a lot of other continuation, for sure. Um, I, I definitely think, with Fallout being a high point for many people, that the series will continue. I, 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 right? Yeah, you agree I can't with see that, why not, right? unless something major happens to Tom Cruise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even then, Rebecca Ferguson could take over. Yeah, man, she's fantastic. I mean, I mean the fact that I only, we only barely mentioned her in Fallout is a tribute to how great that movie yeah. is, because... She's really good in it. Some motorcycle oh scenes with some of the angles they get on the motorcycles. Uh, my friend Jake Brightson, shout out Jake if you're listening, uh, was like, can you believe I'm like, no, I cannot believe that. Mm. Like, how are they getting those shots? Their people are really driving the freaking motorcycles. That's probably how they did it. Um, anyway, sorry. You think he'll make the next one? Like, studio financially wise? I think probably. I don't they they've got to have so much trust in him now. At you this know? point, yeah. So, I think if he wants to, they'll probably let him. It'll be interesting if to see if he does. Want and to. I, I want him to as long as he's gonna do this again. You know, do or like do something new at the same time. 
somehow. Yeah, but I mean, like, do this. But this, I, we keep saying it's next level. Like, I need something that's at least on this level again. Yeah. You know what well, I mean? I wouldn't be sad if they ended it here. Oh, neither would I. What because I of, because of a lot of the plot that's involved and stuff and what they did, like... But they won't because they always want more. Mm-hmm. Toy Story 4 comes out next year. Sure. I mean, it's, it's, what, it's what studios do. But, like, I almost... Part of me is like, just... Right. You did it. You did it. You you scaled to peak Mount... I mean, Mission Impossible. Mount Mission Impossible right. has been scaled. Yeah. Because I, I, I have a hard time envisioning a movie that exists after this one that won't feel like a retread now. Yeah, yeah. Because I think you kind of hit, hit the, echel- the upper echelon of what... of maybe what this, these movies can be. Yeah, I think you're right. I don't think they can... I don't... I don't right. know if they can do it again. Yeah. So. Unless you maybe did hand to a different or did something totally different, a totally, totally different, strip different. it down or something. I don't know. But yeah, but see, and this movie's operating though on such a, I think artsy level that like maybe you could, yeah, hand it to another director that's maybe. gonna do something. I'm trying to think of who I would even want to see yeah. make. I don't know that I want a, a Paul Thomas Anderson Mission Impossible. Yeah, yeah. You know, but Fincher was supposed to make oh three or something. I I would totally and see then he, that. They eventually parted ways, uh-huh. so I doubt he'll come back. But right. he was hired at one point I think it was three uh-huh. I'd be into that for sure but yeah clearly it has a future yeah though, like at least saying. monetarily right mm-hmm. yeah cool um, let us know what you think if you think we're stupid for anything we put we like hearing that if you're still listening we always love if you made it to the end um, uh, make sure that if you feel so inclined you give us some star reviews because we've never gotten any on iTunes yeah and just be cool to be like hey someone did it um, let us know if you have thoughts for future podcasts. Totally. We like, take I, requests. Yeah, yeah, we totally take requests because we have, we're doing this now for another year thanks to those wonderful donors at the beginning. We try to do one every two to three weeks, sometimes mostly because of me. We don't hit that, but we're going to try to. Um, so we have many, many podcasts in the future. We'd love to hear some of your ideas. Um, and yeah, if you want to follow us on Instagram, if you want to follow us on Medium, if you want to follow us on Facebook, if you want to follow us on Twitter, we love that stuff, especially if you want to kick us a, hey, I just saw this movie and I thought it was great. Um, it's at uh, Jacob Hampton 26 right? Yeah. At C Durham 99 or just at Rogo Tours. And then Rogo Tours on Facebook. Um, and yeah, any movies you're looking forward to? Oh, man. I can't think of it, any off the top of my head. We're in, it's a, there's a little bit of a dry spell. Nothing yeah. super soon. Alfonso Cuaron has a movie coming out in uh, September or October that I've heard, I think September. That Netflix is distributing, so it might end oh, up on Netflix. Right. All in Spanish. He's going back to Spanish for the first time in a long time. Roma. He, Roma, yeah. Called, right? yeah. He, so I've just been... He's arguably my favorite director. I've just been really intrigued to see what that movie's going to feel like. Is mm-hmm. it going to go be more grimy, feeling like Itumama Tamien? Um, it'd be interesting to rank his and, uh, when that comes out, if you're up for oh, it. Oh, I'm absolutely up yeah. for it. Um, there's a cool, I mean, if we're just kind of talking fall in general, uh, New Yorgo's Lanthimos. Oh, yeah. Maybe, right? uh, the, something with the queen in the title, right? No. No, the favorite. There are queens in it. The, the favorite. favorite. Uh, That's you... the guy who made the lobster and uh, Killing of a Sacred Deer. Yes. For those of you out there that know who New Yorgo's Lanthimos um, is. Bringing us back to A24, did you see the trailer for Jonah Hill's movie called yes. Mid-90s? Jo- jo- Jonah Hill's movie coming out called mid called Mid-90s. I'm intrigued by it, but it also feels like someone trying to make a movie that feels like other good movies. Sure. Maybe I'm being a little too pessimistic, but I was like, oh yeah, this feels like the coming of age movies that are good, which means it could be good. Right. Or it could feel like 
he's trying to copy kind model of a, yeah model oh. model good word model not copy model yeah uh, anything else no I think we're good thanks for sticking with us um, and we'll we'll hopefully be back in a couple weeks with something else that will at least be somewhat interesting to you subscribe follow comment we love you thanks to the donors and uh, we'll, thanks <laughs> yeah bye <laughs>